Hey everybody, welcome back to But Why Love the Podcast, and today we are talking about my favorite holiday and one of my favorite franchises, Friday the 13th. As always, I'm Kate, and I'm here with Adrian. Hey, how's it going? And Matt. Hello. And another Matt today. I struggled. You said, and Matt, and I was like, "Ah." (laughs) 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 Hey, everybody. (laughs) So, Matt, uh, guest Matt, why don't you tell everybody who's listening what you do and why uh, you like Friday the 13th? Uh, My name is Matt Shacha online everywhere. I'm the lead community developer over at Gun Media, and um, yeah, I'm basically lead com dev on Friday the 13th, the game, and Layers of Fear 2. Uh, why I love Friday the 13th is, I mean, you know, same reason we all do. I grew up a kid addicted to horror, and Friday the 13th was one of the first films that scared the crap out of me at a very young age, so, you know. <laughs> awesome. So, my first question, and I'm going to change it a little bit from what it says in the notes. Which is your favorite Friday the 13th movie? You're asking me now. Everybody. Uh, so, I'll, oh. I'll let you go last so you can think on it. Oh, that sounds her- fun. That's good. That's good. I like that. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go possibly with the first one only because I cannot actually think what my all of them are. I've only seen, I've seen maybe the first or second one, but I don't really, I don't know. I've said bits and pieces of it and I haven't seen a single Friday the 13th movie in about like probably 20 years. That's so long, especially because yes. there have been new Friday the 13th movies in that time. Yeah, we're probably talking about like maybe even longer because we're now we have 20 years from the 2000s. So we're probably talking about like maybe 97 was maybe the last time I saw a movie, 95. So you haven't watched a Friday the 13th movie since you were like a tween. My brother and cousins loved this franchise and loved horror movies. Um, so they watched them all the time. And so obviously by association, I watched them. But I've never, as everybody who's listening to this podcast knows, I'm not a horror person for per se, I guess. I have some stuff, but this, no. Especially when it comes to 80s horror, I guess. I'm a little shocked just because, like, I felt like this was always playing on TV when I was younger in some fashion. Yeah, okay. that was probably and, the 90s. <laughs> Matt's too busy 2000s? playing. <laughs> He's too playing <laughs> NCAA to know anything about <laughs> horror <right>. movies <laughs> during that time. How about you, Adrian? Um, I mean, obviously, it comes as no surprise. I didn't know, I didn't even know there was this many movies. Um, so I'm just going to say the only one that I remember watching. A bunch when I was younger because it was on all the time. Freddy versus Jason because it was ridiculous. <laughs> and welcome to my world, whatever. Like I, I, I just always think about that when I think about like this franchise. Uh, and then like the head winking. I don't know. I guess that one. I also watched Jason X a bunch when I was a kid because I thought it was just the most ridiculous thing I'd ever seen in my life. And that like shattering of like the nitrous oxide thing. Is that, is that, is that, am I thinking about the right movie there? Right I don't thing, know if it was nitrous right. oxide though. Not, I think nitrous, it, yeah, yeah. It's liquid, liquid nitrogen, nitrous oxide, not, which is not the nitrous oxide. Dude, I, it's because we watched Fast and the Furious last night. That's all I can oh, think okay. about. All right, yeah, that makes but cars also, go like, fast and people get high. So it's what that's that's <laughs> what nitrous is. This is a different. Is thing. there any nitrous oxide killings in horror? I would like to know that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but the, the liquid nitrogen. So I guess probably I would imagine people would probably say like the two worst ones of this entire franchise are probably my favorite because they're really the only ones I've ever watched because I tried watching the first one when I was a kid when my dad tried to make me watch like 80s horror movies like we talked about in uh, Night, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and I was like, no, nah, I'm good. I don't need this. <laughs> I was also probably too young to be watching those movies anyway because there's a lot of not 
there's a not lot of friendly boobs. stuff for kids yeah. in, the, in those say, early movies. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of boobs of blood. That's kind That's of right. <laughs> um, so I am actually going to blaspheme a little bit and go from what Adrian said and say that my favorite Jason movie is actually Jason X huh. because I love the kills so much. Um, critically, the first Friday the 13th movie is actually amazing. And we'll talk a little bit about its history with critics. It makes me mad that they just didn't get it. Um, so I know I should say that one on movie quality. But on my favorite, it's Jason X. Because it's yeah. just absurd. Well, and there's two sides to this topic, right? There's the side of... Which one did you find the most fun to watch? Which one do you would you like if you were trying to look at this from a review kind of yeah. position? Which one would you give the highest mark? I mean, I don't know. This is similar. This is a similar question to those brackets that go around in March where everybody tries to rate their the horror movies, and it's like, <laughs> well, are we rating them on what I like yeah. or what are the most influential or you know most important or whatever the case? So. You know, I think that's really fair because, like, I think I also said that I really liked Halloween. Uh, it wasn't H two O; it was the one after with Buster Rhymes fighting Michael Myers yeah. <laughs> that I yeah. put as one of my top ones. As soon as you get Buster Rhymes in a, you know, and Michael Myers in the same room, I, you know, I feel like there's already you're already off the rails there. But there's a certain <laughs> level of off the rails in horror that's to be expected. So, yeah. So, what about you, Matt? Where Where do you fall? Um, I, I have this weird thing and, and I'm not going to carry on too long about it, but I have this weird thing where the, the horror franchises that I love the most, all of them seem to fall into this weird world of the trilogy is really the meat of it. You know, it's, if, if you get outside of three, once you get past yeah. three movies, then it's just a train off the tracks and it's like, you know, maybe it'll be good along the way and shit's going to happen. But, you know, um, so you know, the first film has those cool giallo angles and it sets the whole thing. Um, part two, the introdu introduction of Jason. Part three has Jason, you know, becoming the Jason that we all know with that iconic hockey mask and all that. Now, where Friday the 13th gets outside of that is the other films are good. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot along the timeline that's worth talking about. Um, but I feel like my trilogy rule is broken with Friday because then I would add in part four. I think one through four is the that's the meat of the franchise. Yeah. And of them, I just have a soft spot for part three. I think the, the you know, the, the crazy effort they went to to be like, we're in 3D. Look at all this, you know, holding the, the, the harbinger holding up the eyeball and things like that. And it's just unnecessary use of 3D. And um, also knowing what they go through in order to make those shots happen. I don't know. There's I have a spot for part three and Shelly and the whole. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good take. I think that's a, that's good because. Now that I'm thinking about it and you brought up like horror and trilogies, you're completely right. But one through four are solid. Yeah. Well, and, and doesn't four bring something nice in because it brings in Tom Savini again to kill Jason, who he actually created as, you yeah. know, you know, kid Jason in the first one. So like it puts a nice bookend on here is Friday the 13th, the franchise one through four. And then we got this crazy shit that happens in, <laughs> you know, I mean, part five, I'm not a big part five fan. Um, I think it's a good movie, but it's not a great, in my opinion, not one of the greater uh, Friday the 13th yeah. films. But then part six is like just stellar. Part six is responsible yeah. for why we have this unstoppable force being Jason, because part six is when it goes supernatural and Frankenstein and, 
you know, he can come back from the dead and all of that. That sets all that canon up. So without part six, you don't have any of that, you know, Jason as the unstoppable supernatural force. So part six does a lot for the canon. Part seven, directed by uh, John Carl Beekler, and um, it has Kane Hodder in his first appearance and some really amazing special effects work and all that. So, you know, down the line, and then there's things about even, you know, part eight in Manhattan, Jason X, on and on and on that you could talk about that are noteworthy. So there's... There's, there's marks all through the franchise, but the meat of it really is that first four. I feel woefully unprepared to talk about Friday the 13th underneath <laughs> this episode because that was more eloquent than anything I could have said about Friday the 13th. <laughs> I, but, you know, to be fair, I get paid to work on Friday on a Friday the 13th property. So, you know, it's, it's yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, like, whatever, man, you know, that's, we're good. We're all good. <laughs> Um, okay, so I will say for listeners who have listened to us before, we usually do a large history and then we segment the show by doing But Why Those. For Friday the 13th, I have a very small history that is really just a paragraph, and then we're going to jump right into But Why Those because this is a large franchise and so much to cover. Uh, so for history and really just a def- definition of the series, it's just Friday the 13th is a horror franchise of 12 films, a television series, a whole bunch of novels with really weird names, comic books, and video games. And then there's a whole bunch of merchandise that comes that comes out from this as well. Um, the franchise mainly focuses on Jason Voorhees, who drowned as a boy at Camp Crystal Lake due to the negligence of the camp staff. And then decades later, the lake is rumored to be cursed and is the setting for a series of mass murders. Jason is featured in all of the films as either the killer or the motivation for the killings. Um, and the first film was inspired and made specifically as a, uh, honestly, like a, a ploy to get money out of the people who loved Halloween. Um, there is a really cool documentary that's on Shudder um, called Memories of Camp Crystal Lake or Camp Crystal Lake Memories. It's six hours long. So be like, it's like a TV binge. Wow. It's 400 yeah. minutes. It's a, it's one solid documentary. Crystal Lake Memories <laughs> is the kind of thing that you put on, especially during this quarantine and you pause it maybe six, seven times throughout the viewing and go exactly. live your life and then come back to it. Yeah. It's a lot, <laughs> exactly. but there's a lot in it. You know, <laughs> I thought the, I thought, um, the one that they did for Freddy Krueger was long. Oh nope, yeah. Not compared yeah. to this one. No, this one kills um, it. Yeah. <laughs> And they do a really good breakdown of talking to the cast, the crew, the directors, the writers, all of that. And when they go into the first film, all like the directors and the writers and producers just kind of like, yeah, Halloween worked. So we wanted to make one, too. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, didn't they say like we made a poster and then people were into it. So then we made a movie to go with the poster. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. And it was just the words Friday the 13th, like breaking through glass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that part. Well, movies and a franchise out of a poster. I mean, that's pretty good return on investment there. (laughs) And out of that, and it's weird because this, and we'll talk about it as we talk about about the the franchise and the series, is the fact that they made it as a response to Halloween as a way to capitalize on the rising slasher trend because I would say, like, Black Christmas is the start of slashers, in my opinion. And then you have the codification of slashers in... Of, of some of the tropes and slashers in Halloween. And then I think Friday the 13th is where the slasher genre gets its teeth and keeps going from there. Um, and so the thing is, is this is going to come back to bite them in the butt 
when everybody begins to compare their movie to Halloween, which is they're two very, very different films doing very, very different things. Um, I I thought that it was the same when I was like little, little. I was like, aren't they the same thing? (laughs) Aren't those on the same day? Don't those? Yeah, so. Wait, aren't those on the same day? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, 31, spooky, 13. Spooky time. Don't they both happen during spooky time? So, like, when I was little, I thought, like, how how are both these dudes running around killing people? Spooky time. I love that. The entire month like, of October. How are they both is running around the same time? time? How does that work? They both got masks. They both got, you know, machete store things. How are they killing people at the same time? He like, was thinking, not running into each like, other. man, that was a really rough autumn everybody went through. First, they had the one guy <laughs> killing people around Halloween, and then they had this other dude at the lake. Man. Fall was crazy. Was rough. Was like, Someone needs to do something about this. <laughs> I will say, fall is one of the most dangerous seasons yeah, in, in horror. If something's going to happen, it's going to happen in the fall. Yeah, it's going to happen during spooky time. <laughs> um, so as we go into But Why Those, I do want to preface this. As I just said, there are 12 movies in this franchise. There's a whole bunch of stuff. I'm not going to get to all of it. We're not going to get to all of it. But what we are going to do is we're going to go into the first film because that is where I think a lot of uh, a lot of the meat of the commentary that comes from the film and a lot of what it establishes for the subgenre of slashers as a whole comes from. Uh, So please don't at me if I forget things. There's a lot and there's a lot of contradictory lore as well in Friday the 13th. So also, don't at me if I say a wrong thing that was right in one movie, but corrected 10 years later in another movie. Just as a disclaimer. <laughs> um, the first what? thing I want to talk about... Oh, go ahead. I just wanted to, if I could just jump in here. Yeah. Uh, earlier, we were you were talking about Black Christmas, which, uh, again, had the kind of the, the original makings of slasher films and then into Halloween. And then with Friday the 13th. And one of the things that's interesting to note is all, all three of those films have direct nods to what's called giallo films, which yeah. they're these, um, you know, for anybody who's not familiar with giallo films, they're these Italian films that are kind of, you know, you, you don't know who the killer may be. They have like a mystery, uh, mystery kind of angle to them. And often it's, you know, a lot of those up close and personal type kills like in a Halloween. And in Friday the 13th part one, there were, they were a little more brutal in Friday the 13th part one, but like the, the knife slash type, you know, cut to the throat kind of kills. And all you see is the killer's hands and the blade and ooh, spooky, right? Uh, Giallo films actually go back into the sixties, which a lot of people say the directors in North America kind of, you know, ripped off the Giallo films and they used what worked from them. But then the, the part where I really find this interesting and, and worth noting is in America, Giallo films didn't exist as long or as, as clean as they did in Italy with, you know, just straight up Giallo films for a couple of years there. Here, it became more about the villain and there was this weird villain worship that went on. So that's where um, Black Christmas didn't really have the same staying power of Halloween or, or Friday the 13th because over here... Once they revealed the killer in the end of the first film, which is a pretty, you know, it's a core principle of Giallo films is reveal the killer. And oh my God, big surprise. It's the mom over here in the States. When they did that, everybody was like, I want to see more of that. I want to see more of Michael Myers. I want to see more of the, you know, the Voorhees, whatever, uh, Freddy Krueger. I want to see more of Freddy Krueger in, in nightmare. So, you know, 
inspired by Giallo, yes, but then over here in the States, somehow we had this weird villain worship thing that went on, and that's how these franchises basically turned into 12 movie-long runs, and, you know, this is how so many killers got to go to space in Manhattan and all those other places. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, the the Giallo films are really, that's the... That's the underlying beginning of all of this, and when it got got taken over here, and I guess maybe what they thought American audiences wanted to see, and you know the big bad kind of you know it's that's the lead, right? So yeah, yeah. And we and, talked and, about it a little bit on our uh, on our uh, Nightmare or let's say Nightmare Before Christmas, Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, like Freddy Krueger episode. We talked about how like Freddy. Um, and I, I think Jason's up there with him. Not that Michael Myers isn't, but there is a cult around them that really builds. Um, and I, I don't use cult in the negative sense. Just, mm-hmm. you know, there's 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 a charisma that they exude. And it's very funny because you have Freddy, who is a loudmouth and literally won't shut up. And you have Jason, who says nothing. Right. right. Um, but grunt. So right. you have like two people bringing up a whole a lot of franchise their own franchises as well as bringing in a whole bunch of fans from two completely opposite sets um and i think that that's one of the most interesting pieces um and i'm really happy you brought up giallo because i was going to mention it uh, when we got to uh some of the villain stuff but i wasn't sure if i could explain it right so thank you Uh, oh also in giallo uh black gloves is Mm -hmm. the signature yeah yeah um (laughs) And so you see that a lot in in Black Christmas and in First Friday. Um, it's just a it, really interesting moment there, though, with Black Christmas and, and like Friday and Halloween, because there's that moment where it's like, yeah, all right, well, what made Black Christmas not kind of, well, they didn't have a villain that everybody could kind of get behind. And that rallying point became the villain, right? And And you noted it very clearly why I think the two biggest that people think of Michael Myers is in there. Don't get me wrong. I don't mean to say two biggest, but yeah. two of the biggest ones that if you talk to anyone, people who don't like horror films even, they know Freddy Krueger and Jason. And they're just polar opposites. Wisecracking, small guy making jokes, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then big, huge, hulking brute force, you know. Um, Freddy has a more crafty way to come at you. Jason has a more overwhelming kind of way to come after you. And Jason the- will slice you in half through a tent wall. Yeah. Yeah, bang you against a tree in a sleeping bag and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of really huge differences there, too. And I just think that's really interesting that, you know, but but the interesting part being, and I'm, I, 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 I'm very sorry, I ran off the rails here <laughs> rambling at the mouth. But the reason I bring up the jello thing that I think is interesting was because as quickly as it came on, it's not that it went away. It's just in in the States here, people were like... Jason Voorhees, he makes money. Don't bury the lead. Let's run with that. 40 more movies with the hockey face guy, you know? And it's like, like you know, the GL thing didn't live like it did in, in other places, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's nail meets head right there. Uh, I so don't I think, think that's how that saying my goes. First, I know it's not. I, I tried to just ignore <laughs> that I fucked that up. I was hoping Jason would edit it in post and not make me sound stupid. Nail meets head, okay. Leave me alone! So okay. Hellraiser, speaking of Naomi Set, no. Okay. Speaking of franchises who didn't need all of its sequels. Mm. Oh goodness, yeah. My heart so much. Yeah, yeah. We also yeah. have a Hellraiser episode where I cry about those sequels. Yeah. Um, so the first, uh, one of the first, but why those for me specifically is music. Um, so in the first film, Harry Man Fredini. 
began working on the musical score and the decision was made to only play music when the killer was actually present so that it wouldn't manipulate the audience. So essentially Manfredi also has noted that when something was going to happen, the music would drop and it would give a little bit of relaxation and that way it would build the tension before the scare. One of the other things that's really cool is when you watch that first film, there are moments that happen where the, 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 the kids or the teens uh, kind of endanger each other and they're a little jump scare moments, but they don't have any music to it. And essentially the killer, Mrs. Voorhees, appears on screen only in the final scenes of the film. And so Manfredi had to essentially do what Jaws did and use music to build the tension and use music to build the fear and essentially make you feel like the killer was there even if they weren't. Um, so he took a cue from John Williams in that respect and he ended up listening to, I'm going to mispronounce this name, I think it's Christoph Penderecki's piece of music which contained the chorus with striking pronunciations. And so Manfredi tried to replicate this and make a very similar sound and so he came up with Kiki, uh, Kiki, Kiki, Ma, Ma, Ma. And when the final reel, when Mrs. Voorhees arrives, she's reciting, kill her mommy. Uh, the key is for kill and the ma is for mommy. And so essentially, this gets missaid and I missay it all the time. It's just ch -ch 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 is what people always do. Um, but it's supposed to be Kiki, Kiki, Ma, Ma, Ma. Um, I don't like it. I don't like it. Get it out of here. Creepy, right? I'm I'm a Della I'm a Della affecting this and I'm never gonna say ki 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 ma 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 when I'm trying to like scare my wife uh in the dark. But there's just no way I'm doing that. <laughs> yeah, there was, it just blows my mind. I do not think that there's something that... interesting in Crystal Lake memories on this too, if I'm not mistaken, where um Manfredini was talking about how if he kind of manipulated the sound wave of the recording of the kill her mommy or whatever kill yeah. mom you know um those were the only peaks like if you limited it to the actual minimum like whatever that peak is i'm not an audio engineer obviously i, I would have probably said what i'm trying to say already if i was but yeah, <laughs> yeah he it, that's what you were left with which was pretty interesting but that um that reverb effect to it ends up sounding like a ch -ch -ch sound instead yep and so there's like a little splash reverb on that, and that leads to the the never-ending debate of is it ki 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 ma 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 or ch 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 ha ha ha? And people are like, it's not chi chi chi, you know. Um, but yeah, so that's a chi chi yeah, chi ma ma is a good way to get uh, all the Friday the Thirteenth fans mad at you. Just so you know, if you ever go, I love Jason, chi chi ma ma, they're gonna be like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> Man, that's such um, a missed opportunity for me to make that my username on the game would be like if I had the username Chi Chi Mama, I think <laughs> I could have done the most damage. Father, that would have been amazing. Damn. Um, as a testament to beyond just being able to create this amazing atmosphere with a really simple, like it's what six sounds. Um, in 1982, game, uh, Gramavision Records released an LP record of select pieces of Harry Manfredi's score from the first three Friday the 13th films, and in 2012, La La Land Records released a limited edition six CD box set containing Manfredi's scores from the first six films. That sold out in 24 hours. So hmm. people loved his music. It's I, I would say there are 
a lot of really famous horror scores, but I would say this is the one. This and Jaws are probably the two that like everybody just says to say, regardless if they like they know it. It's there. Yeah. Um, because like in Halloween, it's more like a very grand overture, and like it's very, it's almost like a symphony being made. Um, versus whereas this, because they had a very like he wrote all the music in two weeks. They had an extremely limited budget. Um, so he couldn't actually have a chorus. So he did a lot of the sounds himself. Um, the, having that lower budget, I think, pushes for, not greater, because Halloween is iconic. Yeah. But yeah. it small moments that you can insert into daily conversations. Small moments that you can walk up behind your friend and mess with. Or go, right. da 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 Right. So. <laughs> and you know, I guess that... Speak- that again is that Americanization kind of you know thing. Like we we wanted something. You need something small and bite sized, short attention span. Something that you could just kind of hey, there you go, <laughs> dun, dun, you know, and just throw around. Um, you know, whereas Halloween, I mean, good luck trying to sneak up behind somebody. And you know, as much as the Halloween score is amazing, you can't. It's not versatile, you know. And, and you again, can't walk up just, and whisper that in somebody's ear and speak right. them out. Right, <laughs> but I can't. So I do get the plug since we did talk about Jaws. Jaws episode will be coming up in a few weeks, so yes, <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> I'm still upset. Back in 2017, they did a horror episode and left out Jaws, and so now three years we later, I get to redeem tried, everybody. We literally tried to cover the entirety of the genre. It was a bad idea, and I missed so many things. I'm sorry. I say I'm sorry every time Jaws comes up. I'm sorry. Are you saying y'all, y'all like I'm a horror person, first of all. <laughs> he's over here. He's like, I was brought that, up Blade. Was that, that, same <laughs> that was the extent of my horror contribution in that episode. Did Jaws happen in the fall? Because, God. <laughs> no, no, it's summer. Summer? It's right? summer. Yeah. yeah. It's a pre fall. It's pre fall. <laughs> it all goes back to how bad fall is. Right? It happened on October the 31st when everybody knows Jason Voorhees comes out exactly. and he meets up with Freddie Leatherhead. Oh, God. Jaws, Jaws v. Jason, please. Yeah. Hello, Hollywood. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, okay. So the next part of this is probably one of my favorite things to talk about because I kind of take a stance that some people don't think that I would take. I've gotten a lot of fights with it. Anyway, um, so the next but why, though, is teen sexuality and sexism, question mark, in Friday the 13th. Um, specifically, there's sex in Halloween. Um, it's one of the things that goes against what's established in Black Christmas. So when you look at the Virgin Lives trope, it doesn't start in Black Christmas. Black Christmas is very dynamic in its storytelling and its female characters, and it's one of my favorite films ever. Halloween, you go to the good girl becomes the uh, becomes the becomes the final girl and overtakes everything, which is great and awesome. Um, and this also continues in Friday the 13th where people have sex, people die, but it's a lot of sex. It's not just one or two scenes. There's a lot of nudity in everything. It's very overt. Um, and so Friday the 13th and all of the subsequent, subsequent sequels takes what was kind of there in Halloween and turns that dial up to 11 and keeps turning. Um, and essentially... The, it, it, tell, it helps really establish sexy teens as the foundations that slashers are built on. 
And critics have noted and read this as a way to of showco- showcasing Sex Get You Kill and as a holdover from or a holdover or immediately coming out of the Reagan era and the the fear of the dissolution of family. Um, and I think when you the, the funny thing is, and I'm not saying that this isn't the case because everything comes from a cultural a cultural piece. It's why horror is empathetic. Um, but when you watch the Crystal Lake Memories documentary, which we've talked about a lot, you can watch it on Shudder, um, you realize that the guys who made the film really just wanted to put sex in everything. That was their only reason. They wanted to shoot scenes of boobs. Growing Uh, up as a punk rocker and having lived through the Reagan era, (laughs) I really want to blame something else, but I don't know that that's it. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. "Ah." Reagan takes a lot of heat that he should take, but I don't know if that one's on him, you know, <laughs> like, eh. um, and so I, I think that it's, it's just like a really good thing. Cause when we have conversations about these films and the way sex is used in slashers, that's always the trope. The virgin dies, which is you, or the virgin stays alive. Everybody else dies. That does happen. But when you look at like the reasons that people were putting them in there, a lot of the times it was just cause like they were films directed by men and a lot of men want to see boobs. Um, so there we go. Um, it's as easy but, as that. Uh, huh? It's as easy as that. It is as easy as that. Um, but I well, think one of the other... Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, I think too that if you're sitting around like, imagine Friday the 13th brainstorming session one. Like, all right, so eventually the killer's going to be the mom because her kid drowned. Why? Well, how did her kid drown? Well, because the counselors weren't watching. Well, what were they doing? Well... They're probably getting high and getting naughty. You know what I mean? So, like, I don't feel like as much as I think that the effect can be greater than the um, impetus to to create said thing. You know, the effect can live well beyond the, you know, the moment can be simple in in how they decided to get to point B from point A. That doesn't mean that point A has to be some big major thing like, here's what we're going to do, guys, you know, and then point B can be as legendary as it is. I think that the effect is, you know, something that has staying power and lasts well beyond it when really the, the cause was like, you know, minute two of the conversation, they were like, well, what were all the counselors doing? We'll probably smoking grass and, and fooling around. You know what I mean? And it's like, <laughs> well, all right, perfect. That's what we're going to do. Show them smoking grass, show them fooling around, and then we'll get some killing done, you know? And that's, <laughs> and then it, it goes on. And that's, that's really how like folklore lives, right? I mean, that's yeah. how, that's how urban legends and folklore, um, that's how that snowball rolling downhill gets massive and bigger. And the game of telephone changes is, you know, time passes and that simple brainstorming session of, you know, well, this is what they were probably doing turns into, well, there's this whole other, and, and I think that's something cool. Uh, that's a culturally oh, yeah. interesting thing to witness over 12 films. So, so every time okay. we do one what of these movies and franchises all, and we have this type of plots and everything breakdown, all I think about is that, when they're making the man, the what was it He Man episode, and they're like, "Just give him a tiger. We don't care. Throw him a sword." And right. they're like, <laughs> and "I'm like, see, this is how all this stuff got made. They weren't breaking down anything. They're like, just put it, put him on a damn tiger. We don't care." Yeah. <laughs> and I think, and I think that this rolls really well into the next part. Is that uh, Friday the Thirteenth is really where critics start bashing slasher films for being sexist. Um, and I like I do want to preface by saying there's definitely sexism in horror. There are definitely like horror doesn't like women all the time. 
it's I throw this stat out a lot. It's a genre that predominantly that has majority female leads, but doesn't have nearly has one of the lowest ratios of directors um, that are women. Um, and that is a shame and it sucks. And as a woman in horror, it hurts. But at the same time, I think that when you start looking at a lot of these slashers and at least how the final girl begins to remove and at least how people at the time were thinking about it, they did think that they were creating female characters that were powerful and they were at the time of conception. And I do think that that's important. And I think when you look at Friday the 13th specifically, one of the big issues is that everybody is killed brutally, but the men are killed abruptly. So the men tend to be killed really brutally, just like the women, but it comes in and it goes out. Versus where when a woman dies in Friday the 13th, most of the time there's a slow buildup, the kill, and then the after. And I do think that that is just, I don't think it's as insidious. I think it's implications for future generations and how they showcase that stuff. Kind of like what you were saying, Matt, with the point A can be small, but point B can be large. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I do just think it's like what these guys on set felt more comfortable doing. Um, but predominantly what happened after Friday the 13th is you start getting this conversation that specifically slashers were trying to put women back in their place by killing them, especially after sex. And that's something that you see start here because it doesn't really start in Halloween because Halloween is more nuanced. It's not as in your face with its, with its violence or with its, uh, with its, with its sex. And so Friday the 13th takes the brunt of a lot of this criticism, but it also really opens people to start looking at it from that perspective for the future ones that come after it and the future of this, of the slasher genre. And so essentially you see, um, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought, but so the film essentially ends up spurring critical discussion in regards to the villain being female, which is where I think the the critics at the time didn't really give this film its entire due because I can see why some people would see it was sexist. I would also like to point out that the majority of the critics at that time were men and the people who most vehemently hated it were men. <laughs> um, same thing happens with Freddy Krueger. Um, but there is a power, I think, to me as a woman in horror in Friday the 13th because Mama Voorhees is actually like the first time I think I saw a woman villain in that way because the violence that is exacted on these teens is coming from a woman. And when you look at horror, or even if you look at action, you look at any genre, when a woman is a villain, she's not brutal. Most of the time, she's doing things more stealthfully. In this one, she's it. How do you say it, it? It's diametrically opposed to what you think a woman in horror would be, what you think a woman as a killer would be. And for me, I think that that's actually extremely powerful. Um, Carol J. Clover, who wrote uh, Men, Women, and Chainsaws, which is probably one of the most fundamental books that you could ever read as a horror fan, and I recommend everybody reads it, notes the revelation of Pamela Voorhees as the killer as the most dramatic case of pulling out the gender rug in horror film history. Commenting on the first-person point of view shots from the killer, Clover writes, We, the audience, stalk and kill a number of teenagers over the course of an hour, 
of movie time without knowing who we are. We are invited by a conventional expectation by and by glimpses of our own bodily parts. A heavily, foot, a heavily booted foot, a roughly gloved hand, to suppose that we are male. and But we are revealed at the film's end as a woman. Um, so for me, I actually think that that's a really powerful case of subversion of gender. Um, and I think that it's something that doesn't get it to do a lot of the time when we talk about sexism in, in horror. And I think that this is probably one of the first cases, at least in American horror, where you have this conversation erupting in such a way. Uh, you know, going back, though, I, I did want to comment on this, but you're just... I, I, I was so a part of that entire discussion. And while you were sitting there talking, I was, I was trying to think of the name. I couldn't get the name right, but I ended up, I found the name. But I, I was thinking of it in terms of the actors. And when you think of um, Kevin Bacon's character, uh, yeah. which is actually Jack Moran. I knew his name was Jack, but anyway, his neck gets impaled with the arrow. And it's one of Tom Savini's coolest effects, right? Mm -hmm. But it is still really quick on camera. Now, part of that, I'm sure, is trimming in order to get the right rating and all that um so the length of the scene is not really the part that i feel you got to look at it's a matter of like you said brutal quick done with there's not a lot of you know character shots involved yeah. whereas and this was the name i had to look up completely marcy stanler the girl who gets mm -hmm. killed with the axe if you remember that scene the axe hits the light and so the light goes swinging and then the, the light's swinging back and forth and there's these close-ups of her face and agony and all these, that, not only in how long the scene plays out, but in the type of camera work that's used, illustrates your point perfectly. Whereas you have Kevin Bacon taking an arrow through the neck and they're like, ugh, done. You know, this girl gets killed with an ax. It's not, ugh, done. It's, let's linger on her face and show the agony and the, you know, there's, there's so much to that. And, you know, this podcast opened my eyes a little bit to, I mean, I, I, I get and understand that concept, but that right there, those two scenes just really kind of, while you were talking, they really, those two scenes came immediately to the forefront of my mind and yeah. were like, well, that right there, if you compare those two scenes to each other, you have the entire argument. And yeah, the, the, the situation with Mrs. Voorhees, you know, Mama Voorhees being revealed as the killer. I think that there's part of that, I'm a firm believer that the climate, the situation, everything going on around us kind of plays a role in the things that we do creatively, even when we don't notice. So when you're setting out to make a movie where the entire premise of the movie is, we're going to trick the audience and then we're going to reveal, bam, this is who it is that's doing the killing, right? What better way to pull off that, like, you know, bait switch move than to really build it up to look, not manly, I wouldn't say they built it up to look manly, but like, like your quote, clearly illustrates the the work boot kind of foot and the you know work gloves and things like that and then oh it's the mom it, it's a, it's the woman killer you know um the goal of the giallo is to convince them that they have no idea who it could be and then they solve up the mystery with that final scene where it's all revealed yeah. and what better way to really create an impact with that final scene than it's the last person you would have thought it could be so you know and again maybe part of that is just Let's really do this this giallo thing perfect, and let's make sure that it comes out of nowhere and no one expects it. But yeah. then, in the back of the mind, that's those those that that great little bit of like surroundings playing a subtle role in the output creatively could lead to something bigger. And again, it's 
I'm harping on the same point, I feel like, but I think it bears noting again that little point A to a huge point B. Yeah. And I think that sometimes that, you know, the, the climate and, and things going on can lead to something that resonates with people where even the creators can sit back and go, wow, that really resonated, you know. And, yeah. and I think this is one of those one of those wonderful times. Also, I've never heard of that book and I need to read it now because I feel... You haven't. It, I, so that is the book that establishes The Final Girl as a trope. All right, now I need to read it. I feel yes. like a terrible horror fan because I, you, you made that whole point of you were like, everyone must read this from the horror. And I was sitting here quietly. I was like, shit, I never read that. Oh, boy. I'm like trying to Amazon the, the book real quick. And grab a blurb so you don't look dumb. <laughs> it's a phenomenal book. And I, I also, one of the things, and, and I've gotten into discussions with this. And actually, I've actually only gotten into discussions where people have gotten frustrated with me when I've been talking to, like, male horror fans who are like, no, the final girl is sexist. So it's like, what? Mm. Um, but I think one of the things that's really interesting to note in a lot of the critique that Friday the 13th gets from critics for being sexist, um, they do it by attacking the actresses in the film, essentially, mm. by saying, how dare they be in a film that is like this? How dare they stoop to this film's level? And specifically, Mama Voorhees is actress. She got, she essentially said that she disrespected her entire audience by taking this role. Oh, because she yeah. had been loved by America beforehand. Yeah. And and the 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 big the the common consensus among the, the public was why how why would you do that to yourself? Or, or like how could you be like all of yeah. the things you just noted? And it's she, um, yeah, she had a really rough go of it too. Uh, she ended up finding like an interesting, one of the things, the quotes that I loved from her, I don't have it exactly, so I'm not going to even try and paraphrase, but she said something to the effect of that kind of emboldened her stance on the whole thing. Um, when, yeah. once the movie was out for a while and it had lived for a bit, that kind of really emboldened her stance on it. Kind of in that respect of when somebody says, how dare you do that? You go, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it. And, you know, gave her yeah. like a little bit of a chin up moment, but the fact that that was the reception to her even being in any way involved with the movie is yeah. ludicrous, but yeah. Yeah, and I could do a whole other podcast episode about that, <laughs> about how you don't say something is a sexist by attacking the women in the film. Yeah, yeah. But... Right. <laughs> that was the part where I, I like flinched and had to pull my head away from the mic because I was like, they're going to hear you. You know, <laughs> you're like, they went after the girls and I was like, wait, 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 hold on. <laughs> It's, it's something that frustrates me in horror, but it's all, and, and it feels weird talking about it because it's like, I don't want to minimize the issues that women have in the genre and have had, especially from our tour directors. That's very real. Um, but also there's nuances to these conversations. We also need to realize a lot of those conversations were driven by dudes who then harassed actresses. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, the next but why though was specifically establishing tropes and slashers. Um, while also using stuff from old ones, uh, specifically, it uses a voyeuristic camera lens, uh, so you see, which is from Giallo as well, you only see the hands and the feet and that kind of stuff, but it's also was, in, in the West, in the US, um, it was from Black Christmas, was where we really see this, and then you see it again in Halloween, and then it comes into Friday the 13th, so there are obvious... Uh, copies of what has come before it but at the same time you have it really establishing slasher music because it gets done again you have the prophet of doom being established which is one of my favorite tropes um the summer camp becomes one of the best locations ever for camp for uh for uh slasher killings 
and ridiculous kills with very, very high body counts. As the franchise goes on, it stops marketing its story and starts marketing its body count. Yeah, yeah. I do and remember that happening. all of... Huh? I do remember that happening of we focusing on the body count versus anything else. The yep. weird marketing text. Also, I still don't understand the appeal to summer camps. Even, like, I guess I don't know if this because, like, when I was growing up, this was a thing. Obviously, these came out before I was born, but I've just never seen the appeal to a summer camp. I have never been to one. I have not either. either. They never look fun. Are we talking about going or, like, where to kill teenagers? Because I think that one, <laughs> one answer is pretty obvious. I mean, I would never FBI, go to one. I did one. not say anything. Right. It's like a buffet. It's like an all-you-can-eat buffet of, of teenagers, though. So I, I think that's how they end up having their place in horror. But, yeah, I never went to one either. No. <laughs> um, and all of this... Uh, mainly the last part, which really solidifies what a slasher is. Because in horror, a lot of the times when you're talking about a movie that may not have had a good story, but had amazing kills, you would still tell somebody to go watch that movie because of the kills. Um, and a lot of this is thanks to the iconic Tom Savini, who does all of the practical effects on Friday the 13th, the first film. Uh, if you don't know who Tom Savini is... Tom Savini is the guy who did Dawn of the Dead. Tom Savini was also a war photographer in Vietnam and actually knows what a dead body is supposed to look like. Um, he knows what insides look like when they're brought on the outside. Uh, so for him, and he has a really great quote in, in the documentary, he says that if it doesn't look real, then I'm not doing my job. Uh, it's also what leads critics to hate it so much because it was so gratuitous and gory. But Tom Savini is really the guy who drives bringing gore to the forefront and really makes it an art form. Uh, so where Halloween is extra, like Michael Myers is extra. The man yes. has put a tombstone on a bed extra. Yeah. <laughs> the kills in Friday the 13th are beyond that. Um, and as each installment goes, it ones up and ones up and ones up um, each other. Um, well, with I believe Fra Freddy or not Freddy Friday the third Jason goes to hell is probably where they did the most. Like we're gonna throw all of it at the wall. <laughs> yeah, right. Audience, <laughs> you tell us what's stuck. Here you go. Yeah, oh, yeah. One of the things I wanted to they got to do a director's cut. Yeah. I, well, and that that was kind of always the plan, right? They they started rolling on the film. They were like, "Look, we're going to cut all of this stuff and just pack it into a director's cut and then release that." So, but one of the things that I wanted to note about Tom Savini that I feel is underappreciated, um, mainly because the one side of him with you know creating the most realistic looking effects, um, being a pioneer in in makeup effects and things like that being the hero to a lot of people who later got into makeup effects that we all look up to now, like Nicotero and people like that. Yep. Um, aside from the makeup, which is the fake, there is the element of the real. And when I say that, what I mean is the, the, the kill scene I mentioned earlier with, uh, the girl getting hit with the ax and the ax hits the lamp and sends the lamp swinging around. That was Tom Savini's idea. He wanted the, the ax to connect with that metal lampshade because it made the ax more real. When it hits the lampshade, you can tell this isn't a foam ax and this isn't a, so by those quick cuts of, you know, a quick cut of the ax raising up a cut to the ax hitting the lampshade and then a cut to the ax being buried into the girl. It, it's such small little moments that create the illusion of the, 
the axe really going into this person because the axe has weight. It makes that ting sound off of the lampshade. And those little things that he has been known, at least through telling, you know, uh, to, to provide to a set is part of what makes him so great. You know, it's the illusion is more than just how do we make the arrow look like it came through his neck? It's the illusion is more to it, showing showing a little bit of, of substance outside of just the gag. Yeah, and that that's one of the things that's also when you look at it, what makes Friday the thirteenth the first film, I think iconic in a way, is that it has a lead in the same way that Psycho has a lead in, where you surprise the audience by offing the character that you're supposed to connect with immediately. Um, And that type of surprise is something that I think shines throughout the film, not just in an actress dying first when you thought you were going to see with her for the rest of the film, but also in like what you mentioned, Matt, like specifically how all of the kills happen. And a lot of the times I, I think all of them happen with items that we've seen in the film elsewhere. Mm. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure. Um, So there's like this, really good blending of what we're expecting and when you listen to Tom Savini talk about his process too he focuses on what he can do to make it look real and that means using uh, like surroundings that that point to the real but also figuring out what's going to be a real axe what's going to be a fake axe what's going to be a human what's going to be you know a stand-in and I think that that ability to adjust your practical is something that, sadly, I think is lost now in horror, like, a lot of the times. I think we're coming back to it, which is good, but, like, there's right. a solid stint where it was all CG all the time, and you lost that you lost that surprise and that reality. And I think Savini is probably the leading person for it. It's an, um, interesting, it's an interesting topic that can play into all creative things, right? Um, for a creative person, there are, you know, in this case, the makeup artist, there are, is the makeup. But where Tom Savini really excelled was how little of the makeup he needed to show in order to make the gag real. Whereas most creatives would say, this is my creative output. This is the, uh, this is the thing that I create. So I want to show as much of that as possible. Tom Savini had a good um, awareness and control over it. You know, um, he knew that the greater gag, that's the, the real output, not the prosthetic or how good the prosthetic looked. It's the overall gag from you know, the first shot to the final. And, and that's, you know, that's something that takes so much self-control that I, I, I don't have, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't know many people who do. So usually when you create something, you want, you're like, I'm going to hit you over the head with this thing I made because it's really cool. You know, like he had yeah. the restraint. So it's a, it's something that really, you know, makes him a, a, a hero to a lot of people. Uh, I'll shut up now. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, so I did want to say with that being said, I wanted us to voice some of our favorite kills. Um, the ones I wrote down are my favorite is specifically Jason punching off a man's head. That one is Jason ridiculous. That is ridiculous. Huh? That one was just ridiculous. It's so fun, though. It's, it's so ridiculous. It's so fun. It's fun, man. The fact that I remember how ridiculous that is explains how ridiculous I'm not that saying is. that it's not ridiculous. But I just some think it's people, a very fun kill. Some people would argue that you did remember it, though. Yeah, you know, it's fair. like when you bring someone up and they go, oh, that guy's a jerk. And it's like, but you know who he is, right? Like, it's the same kind of thing, man. You can't be like, oh, it's so ridiculous. Even I remembered it, but you remembered it. <laughs> Got him. Yeah. And then the other two that are 
pretty much my favorite. My favorite is the liquid nitrogen in Jason X, where Jason takes somebody's head, puts it in the liquid nitrogen, and then shatters it on the table. And then in Jason, uh, the hell, the hell one, uh, a man the, gets a fry. The bag. hell one. <laughs> uh, Jason essentially, yeah. the killer, just dunks a man in hot boiling fry oil. I like that. The hell one. The hell one. The hell one. Some fans feel the same. Chi <laughs> <laughs> nom nom. Am I right? <laughs> so the liquid nitrogen um, one is pretty good, though. I do like that one. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would argue that was one of the best parts of Jason X. Yes. About the Probably it's the only part I remember. <laughs> so there you go. Right. I remember the sleeping bag as well. But now the uh, sleeping bag is a, a, a callback to part seven. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I just steamrolled the whole conversation and I apologize, but part seven, no, the original sleeping bag kill is my favorite. So I'll get that out yeah. of the way. Then now, now I have a, a brilliant segue to talk about that. So, <laughs> um, first time Kane Hodder is Jason, which is part seven. So, uh, that's pretty dope. And, uh, the sleeping bag kill is just one of those kills that, I mean, I don't know. Something about it, I, I guess because the sleeping bag is like your cozy place and you should be safe and warm in your bed. You know, like if you were camping and you got scared, you would zip the sleeping bag up a little tighter and, you know, hunker down. And the fact that that's the vehicle of your ultimate demise, I think, is amazing. That and the crunch. So. Oh, that crunch is good. Yeah. It's so... Yeah. yeah. That's probably one of the most brutal kills, and, 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 it's, and it's interesting because it doesn't show much other than a man just getting picked up in a sleep, a person getting picked up in a sleeping bag and hit against a tree. Right, yeah. I mean, in, in terms of some of the things they've done in the franchise, it's pretty tame. There's no arrow through yeah. a neck or, you know, machete in the face or nothing like that, um, but it's so brutal, and it's such a, like, manipulation of, like I said, that cozy place that it it like hurts me on a core level. Like there's more about that kill that makes me never want to camp again than anything else that happened in the franchise. Because I'm like, if I'm not safe in my sleeping bag, how am I ever going to camp again? You know, it's just terrible. I can't. So what about you guys? What do you mean? We uh, the nitrous oxide. Like, just kidding. <laughs> no, the liquid nitrogen one is my favorite for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's about all I was going with. No. Okay. Well, you like I mean, I don't have context for really. <laughs> that's fair. That's I've fair. seen like four of like the thirteenth movies, and that's the one that took up the most to me, literally every single time. <laughs> and I guess like the other one, like where he just like slashes them through a tent, which is like not like. Yeah. I mean, it's not great, but also like they're like, "Hey, how should we kill these kids? Let's just kill them while they're banging." Yeah, and that's just very. <laughs> I do, scary. I do think the best kill them while they're banging kill in horror goes to I don't remember which which part it was, but it's where Jason impales two people having sex and the girl is like looking up and she's trying to get him off because she sees Jason, mm-hmm. but he's not listening because he's just having I think I've fun. Seen, yeah, Jason I think that's the one I'm thinking about. <laughs> that is actually, yeah. and you know, I'm gonna bring this up because um, shout out to Wes Keltner, president of Gun Media. Uh, dear friend of mine and my boss, but he brings it up a lot. It's th- it's a kill from I want to say Twitch of the Death Nerve, which is um, it's a Giallo film, and that kill almost identically happens in that film, except yeah. it's reversed. I want to say like you know girl on dude versus dude on girl. However that 
you know, however that murder sandwich <laughs> yeah. worked out in one, it was the opposite in the other. And yeah, but it, it's, it's there. It's also one of our original pieces of concept art for the video game. Sorry. Sorry. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's really cool. And then you have like, okay, I'm not going to keep talking about kills, but when you switch them, gender <laughs> dynamics change and it takes on a different understanding. My brain. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I'm not, I have a lot written about critics versus fans because obviously this became a giant like phenomenon and it made a butt ton of money, which we're going to go into. Um, but the, the critics hated it so, so much and they hated it because, and they, they hated it more almost because they kept comparing it to John Carpenter's Halloween. Um, because that's for, forgive expected. me, Kate. For what, what's like the time frame of like like the years that these like come out? Do they come out like close like close ish together, I or is it like a couple two years? years Are they two years apart, or is it one year? Uh, two seventy eight to eighty. Halloween yeah. was seventy eight, gotcha. cool. and uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part One was nineteen eighty. Yeah, two years apart. Gotcha. Um, and Siskel hated it. Gene Siskel of Siskel and Ebert. He hated it with a passion. He actually published the address to Charles Bluehorn, who was the chair, who was the chairman of the board for Gulf Western, who owned Paramount, so that people could send him hate mail. Like, I mean, he docked somebody because he hated a movie, right? Like, Jesus. oh God, it's never been okay to share people's personal information. What the hell, man? Like, that's yep. that's pretty messed up, dude. Like that's sure. to hate a movie that bad to be like, here's where the guy lives. Let him know. Like that's horrible. Yeah. I don't yep. know. I don't know. It was awful. It's awful. It's so bad. But apparently uh, it represented, it represented like the crumbling of, you know, Hollywood and fine art, you know? So yes. it was, that, that was something that he took a very personal, like, uh, mm -hmm. offense to, I don't know. Insanity. Well, that's, and, and that's why you and so Friday the Thirteenth is where you end up getting that sharp divide of horror not being considered film because of the sex, because of the gore, because all of the the films that Friday the Thirteenth inspires, the wave of slashers that come out after it, and they just get pushed away and pushed to the side. And not saying they're all masterpieces, but there's some good ones in there. Like Prom Night's damn good movie. Yeah. Um, but nobody looks at them the same way because it's not high art. And this is still something that horror is still having to deal with. The fact that Tony Collette doesn't have a damn Oscar for mm -hmm. Hereditary is because of people like Siskel. Yeah. Tony <laughs> Collette, uh, uh, Lupita Nyong'o from Us, yep. um, and then Florence Pugh from Midsummer. Like yep. the, those three right there. That's that's three really strong cases in recent history that like we're not really looking at this shit the Lupita right way. Lupita Nyong'o... Acted out two completely different freaking characters and couldn't get nominated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's frustrating. I'm mad. Yep. And <laughs> I'm every mad. award season, it comes back up, and I'm yep. just like, which is funny. Which when I see people who love comics, and I love comics too, say, "My comic book movie needs to be recognized." I'm just like, get in line. Yeah, like, we're right. still waiting. They've been making certain kinds of movies for years and years and decades, and uh, yeah, so. <laughs> You, you, um, still be, you got horror good. movies, and then you have animations in line, and then you yes, got, yeah, animation got thrown out. Wasn't that Beauty and the Beast that got it Beauty thrown out? Beauty and the Beast is what threw animation out of yeah. all the categories. That's about another decade down the road, but then eventually they get thrown out. Yep, because 
outside of Silence of the Lambs, there's a good chunk of things where horror never gets recognized. And then when it does get recognized, it gets said that it's not a horror movie. Right. That's what, yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to say, Silence of the Lambs is the film that made it like, oh, okay, wait. So sometimes they do things that we want to like claim as part of our greater Hollywood. So what we're going to do is we're just going to call it drama or thriller or this or that. And we're going to make it okay. Yeah, all right, cool. We don't have to acknowledge the horror dudes still. You know, like we don't have to acknowledge all those horror folks over there because we can just be like, no, no, Silence of the Lambs. That's that's totally like a, that's a drama thriller. And they go to these great like, I mean, the reaching, it's like you're going to throw your back out reaching that hard to try to rename a movie. People, people would rather say that a science fiction movie won, it, won an Oscar by saying Get Out won than yeah. saying a horror movie won with Get Out. Despite yeah. Jordan Peele being like, nah, y'all, this is horror. Yeah. <laughs> Multiple like, times. It's, it's a satire. It's a comedy. No, no, no. no it's, it's <laughs> you're going to hurt yourself. Just stop it. It's a horror movie. the good thing is retrospectively so the retrospective critics have actually given uh given friday the 13th a 62 percent rating on rotten tomatoes which is a lot better than what i believe the the old the old guys who hated it would have given it i can at least live with that it deserves higher but i can at least live with that Um, it gets like a it gets a a what now? Forty years later, it gets like a mediocre Rotten Tomato score, yes. and we're all like, "Yes, you know, like, <laughs> yes, it gets what it deserves." Right? <laughs> Bomber. Um, but now that we've jumped all over the Friday timeline, uh, there are twelve films. I'm going to read them off because their names are funny a lot of the time, and there have been many final parts yeah. that weren't final. <laughs> <laughs> See you Friday the Thirteenth. Friday the 13th Part 2, Friday the 13th Part 3, Friday the 13th The Final Chapter, Friday the 13th A New Beginning, Friday the 13th uh, Part uh, Part 6, Jason Lives, Friday the, per- the 13th Part 7, The New Blood, Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan, Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday, Jason X, Freddy vs. Jason, and then Friday the 13th, which was the... Remake, reboot, how does that get qualified? I don't remember. It, it would be a reboot because a remake okay. is more faithful to the, the source material. Source material. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the movies. Can I do something um, fun? Can I yeah. do something fun real quick? I think that something interesting that I like to do when I talk to people about Friday the 13th um, is the Cliff Notes versions. So, and it's quick, which is interesting. So you have Friday the 13th part one. It's the killer is the mom and she's upset that her kid was in in a sense neglected and and you know ended up dead. In part 2, the son comes back to avenge the beheading of the mom. In part 3, the son is now basically trying to he's still kind of winding down from his, you know, uh retaliation for the death of his mom and people come back into his space and he's more defensive. He's more kind of um protecting his space being Crystal Lake. In part 4, they kill him. In part five, the uh, the idea of Jason is something 
that takes hold of a local man who's struggling with a, a sense of loss of his own, and he kind of embodies the, the uh, mythos of Jason in order to exact revenge on the people who caused him that pain. In part six, we have the introduction of Frank and Jason, which is how he becomes that supernatural force <laughs> that he later is. So it's super vital to the canon. In part seven, we have Jason meet his most powerful enemy yet, and that's a, a girl who experiences... A, telekinetic phenomenon and she gives him a real fight for his money um again surrounding crystal lake these are core themes by this point part eight man good luck with cliff notes for part eight (laughs) somehow a boat yeah i was real curious about this one yeah oh somehow a boat in crystal lake right the word lake is right there in the name right uh ends up outside manhattan and despite Manhattan being in the name of the movie, Jason spends all of like 10 minutes in Manhattan, but there's some, some really interesting shots of Jason in like, you know, Times Square. So Jason goes to New box. York. Yeah. Kicking the boom box. Yeah. Uh, so in part nine with Jason, uh, goes to hell, you have basically a director who's trying to just, you know, blow the walls off of the thing and kind of lean into the supernatural phenomenon uh, situation, the supernatural, I'm sorry, the supernatural kind of uh, resurrection side of, of Jason and how he's a force. Uh, and then Jason X, you have Jason in space where evil gets the upgrade. Basically, there was a point where all killers had to go to space. And yeah. <laughs> so that was just basically Jason was like, hey, guys, when's it going to be my time to go to space? I, I'm doing space already. And so they put him in space. Um, Freddy versus Jason. Freddy vs. Jason, one of the interesting notes of Freddy vs. Jason was that it, it com- came from a comic book, Freddy vs. Jason, which later then went off into Freddy vs. Jason vs. Ash, which should have been the next film in that line that we never got to see happen. If you follow the comic book line, Ash from Evil Dead was supposed to face off against Freddy and Jason, which would have been yep. something to see. Uh, and then the remake is kind of, uh, you know, during that time of Texas Chainsaw remake and New Night- the Nightmare remake and... All of that, they tried to kind of pep it up for young kids these days. But, you know, I think the remake gets a bad rap. So, yeah. And that's my that's my Friday the 13th Cliff Notes. So. That's great. I thought, I thought Jason Takes on Manhattan was totally going to be like a Sex in the City type thing where he's like, I'm tired of killing kids. Yeah. Let's go kill I just launch middle-aged my wine white line. ladies in, in New York. <laughs> Let's just let's just grab you know round up Michael and Freddie and we'll all go shopping. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they all get mimosas. I want yeah. fan art of all of the. Oh, that'd be all amazing. Of the best villains having mimosas. Uh, you know, the, it's in in like researching Friday the Thirteenth or just you know being a fan of it or or watching Crystal Lake Memories. The one thing that always ends up being this weird hard stopping point for me is like. How did no one ever stop and go, wait, guys, it's a lake. By definition, a lake has land on all sides of it. How are they sailing from Crystal Lake to Manhattan? That doesn't make sense. There's no, and it's a big boat too. It's not like it's a dinghy where they just like, maybe they went through like some like canal or maybe the water, they had rain that day and the, the, the water level was real high and they managed to get at, no, it's a big, huge boat. And they're like, yeah. You know, we're going to sail from a lake to Manhattan. That makes no sense. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's where things start to get really problematic for me. All right. See, and you said that I, and I thought it was ridiculous. He punched the head off. I mean, yeah. To go boat from a lake. Hey, 
For, that Jesus I would argue. A supernatural force punching a head off with, with, is within his limits. I think a so. Yeah. Person sailing a boat from right. a lake to Manhattan. <laughs> right. See, Jason fun. is motivated to punch a head off. He's not motivated to pick up a big, huge boat and be like, "Now we're in New York." Like that's not how that <laughs> you know. Like we're in the river now. It's not. That's not how that goes. It's just. It's like I imagine like a, like a seventies like intro like. <laughs> Uh, thing with like Jason wanted to go to Manhattan, no. so he picked up a boat, and he it yeah. just just sounds ridiculous. Oh, Give him that cliff note. That movie just sounds ridiculous. What, what is what it. is that to the tune of though? I feel like I know it's like a sitcom. It's, it is. It's the one where the lady goes to New York City, and it's iconic. Yeah. And I don't remember. Yeah, the and she's I only know it because it, of a yeah. Family Guy. But that's all I can think of like right now is that that theme song in my head. Ah, I keep wanting the theme song is like on the tip of my tongue, but it keeps blurring into the the New York, New York song. And so that's definitely not it. But <laughs> yeah, like I said, Jason's motivated to knock someone's head off with a punch, but he's not motivated to pick up like a mini yacht and, and just plop it outside of Manhattan. I just think that's strange. Um, so the cool thing is, is when you see all of these movies. When you compare Friday the 13th to the other top-grossing American slashers, Nightmare, Child's Play, and Halloween, as well as Hannibal Lecter, Psycho Saw, Scream, and The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and you adjust for 2018 inflation, Friday the 13th is the second-highest-grossing horror franchise in the United States with approximately $755 million, and it was dethroned in 2018. So it took that long to be dethroned in that spot, and it was dethroned by Halloween 2018. Yeah, but haven't um, they made like a lot more movies than twelve at this point? Halloween. Yeah. No, they're at uh, eight, aren't they? Or nine? No, they're at ten? nine. Hold on. I think they're at nine. I don't know. Isn't there another one coming out though at this point too? There is another one coming out, and uh, they're thirteen, so they have more now. Okay. Thirteen. Um, but technically, three doesn't count, and technically, none of them are canon anymore outside of two. Yeah. They ruined a lot of that with 2018, which I thought was interesting. They were like, yeah, yeah. they're not related. That's just something they said. And it's like, what? Yeah. That was the second film. Like, you just undid everything yeah. in between. But It's I. It's fun, but it hurts my head. I don't I, understand. Like, just wipe out the entire franchise then. I have strong opinions on Halloween. Yeah, we'll bring you back for a Halloween episode. I have some strong opinions on it. I, you know, look, there's a <laughs> lot of good in that franchise. There's a lot of great in that franchise, but I pluck the films out of it and watch them in a in a bubble, and I don't let them really kind of get together, you know, because I, I it starts to, I don't know, man. I'm not. I don't want to go to Halloween college. I just I don't want to study all that. <laughs> The canon is really complex there. So I ju I'm just like, yeah, that's a good movie. Um, they should make a sequel. You know, like every, every time I see one, they should do more of these. You know, I don't know. It's good stuff. Um, so after the movies, uh, it, you have the producer of the films decided to make a TV, a TV show series, TV series. Um, and it's not connected to Friday the 13th. It just shares the name. It's called Friday the 13th, the series. It ran for 72, it ran for 72 episodes. And it, it essentially focused on, uh, like two brothers who were running a shop and each item was cursed. And then they would follow that. Yeah. Um, and it actually was in the number two spot for 18 to 49 men uh, to 18 to 40, 18 to 49 year old men after Star Trek The Next Generation, 
And the first season placed in fifth place for 18 to 49 women. Um, so that's really interesting. I never saw it, and now I want to. The idea of it falling down these cursed items, though, there's a lot there, and it's really interesting and really cool. I, you know, again, like I said, you have to watch it in a bubble and you have to forget that it's called Friday the 13th anything. There's no Jason Voorhees. There's, you know, it's, yeah. All that aside, the stories are actually really interesting. And I mean, personally, I'm a big fan of like anthology style, episodic style presentations. And I think that them being these capsules, each being a little capsule of a cursed item, I think it was a really interesting way to, to do a horror show. And, um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. If only it wasn't called Friday the Thirteenth anything, a lot of people, a lot more people would probably remember it. But it was actually really popular at the time. So yeah, I will say seventy-two episodes. That's like seven seasons of Netflix these days. Yeah, not really. wrong. <laughs> right. Um, or like two quarantine days. Yeah, two yeah. quarantine days. Hey, I have my next binge. Um, then of course there were novels. Six of the twelve films were adapted. Uh, with Friday the 13th Part 3 being adapted twice. There were a series of young adult novels. You know what um, that means, right? And I'm just going to read some of these names because I loved them. There's Friday the 13th Church of the Divine Psychopath, where Jason has a religious cult where he's resurrected. Um, <laughs> then there's Friday the 13th Hell Lake, um, where a serial killer <laughs> named Wayne Sanchez persuades Jason to help him escape back to the real world. Uh, then there's Hate, Kill, Repeat, where two religious serial killers attempt to find Jason at Crab Crystal Lake. You have the Jason Strain, which uh, places Jason on an island with death row convicts. And I just want to know what young as... adults they were marketing <laughs> toward with this. Like, what young adults were they going after? Like, I just, I don't know, man. Young adult fiction, to me, this doesn't sound anything like yeah. what I would imagine with that. Yeah, the, and, same, the same teenagers that get to play the teenagers in their movies is right. what they're going for yeah. in this. And then like they the have, 25-year-old people. And then there are carnival of, there's Carnival of Maniacs, where Pamela Voorhees comes back from the dead. That actually sounds like fun. I would, yeah, I would, I would be into that. But and I mean, if it's a... Con- Okay. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say, if it's a young adult book, aren't these like they're 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 meant to be like, uh, you know, 120 page paperbacks, almost yeah. like like long graphic novels, right? But no images. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, damn it. And then all of the Jason X. So Jason X actually spawns a whole bunch of Jason Voorhees science fiction novels as well. Well, that was necessary. There's an entire subgenre of science fiction yeah. where it's just Jason. Space Jason deserved his own, his own, you know, run. Literary in the can- universe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a branching storyline, guys, all right? I mean, they took a <laughs> boat to Manhattan from a lake. Like, things can get weird. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, of course, there were comics books that were published by Topps Comics, Avatar Press, and DC Comics Wildstorm. Um, none of them exist anymore. <laughs> the real drag and is that those Jason the 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 versus comics. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm jumping ahead. I think, but it, the real shame is that they're really hard to track down now. They're apparently really rare. So even just for like the readers out there, you know, that want to yeah. check them out, because the first comic that he pops up in is Jason versus Leatherface, and I didn't know that this was a thing, and yeah. I want to read it, and I know that I won't be able to get a copy. <laughs> It's kind of cool, um, like these icons of horror did this whole crossover mishmash in, in comic books for a long mm-hmm. period there, you know? And then you have Jason fighting himself as Jason X as well was another one. 
Um, and there are a whole bunch of them uh, specifically to what Matt already mentioned was the Freddy versus Jason versus Ash that was supposed to happen where Freddy reads the, ne- the Necronomicon and brings back Jason and then Ash yeah. has to take care of them both. Mm-hmm. Um, Come on, that's have, like, that could be, huh? that could be comedic gold too. I'm, you know, It really no. would be. Yeah. You and put, I feel like Bruce Campbell would still do it. Yeah. And if you put Wisecracking Freddy with Ash, uh, I mean, there's just a dynamic there that I, I feel like it's an, like almost an evil Ash, Ash dynamic that you could see play yep. out with Freddy and Ash and then Jason being like, you know, the hulking brute of the group. But yeah. <laughs> um, and then from comics, we have the video games. So in 1986, Delmark released Friday the 13th for the Amstrad, CPC, Commodore 64, and ZX Spectrum. I don't know what any of those things are except for the Commodore 64. I remember the Commodore 64. Huh? I said I remember the Commodore 64 in here. (laughs) Um, The plot involved the player picking a sanctuary and attempting to persuade others to hide there. Jason is disguised as a friend until he decides to attack the player. Then three years later, LGM published a game for the NES, and in 2007, Zendex released their own Friday the 13th game for mobile phones, and in the game, the player plays as one of the counselors at Camp Crystal Lake while the staff is preparing camp for their first summer weekend, and an unknown stalker begins murdering them. And then in 2015, the asymmetrical cooperative competitive multiplayer Predator Prey Horror Experience Friday the 13th uh, was announced from Electronic Gaming Monthly. And it was initially titled Slasher Volume 1 Summer Camp, and they raised over a million dollars through Kickstarter and Backerkit to bring it to everybody. Um, and a developer from Gun Media and Ilphonic was opened at PAX South 2016 in January with alpha footage and kill animations. And I got, I actually bought this game immediately when it came on the Xbox. Mm-hmm. And I was in love with it because yeah. <laughs> of all the kills and <laughs> because of the sound. And nobody liked playing with me because I always turned on radios. <laughs> I love the radios. Though. How else are you going to hear Summer of Heat if you don't turn on the radios? Come on, man. We, got, we need some music to get, you know. I mean, nobody wants to smoke grass and do bad things at a lake without music. God. Um, one of the things I think is really interesting uh, as you were talking, again, I didn't want to interrupt and I was like, you know, all right, this is the part where a guy who works in video games would normally speak up, Matt, you're being awfully quiet, but I wanted to let you get through that, that timeline. There's something really cool about the first Friday the 13th game. If you notice the timing of it, 1986, that was around the time that Friday the 13th part five came out where, okay, if you haven't seen Friday the 13th part five, there's a huge spoiler coming. Roy Burns is actually committing the crimes as Jason, much like the mom in, in part one. Now part five came out and it was a guy who kind of, again, was, you know, motivated by the lore of Jason to exact his revenge on these kids in the same kind of manner. Um, so the idea of that first game being Jason is disguised as a friend until he decides to attack the player and then reveal the identity. It's kind of that same kind of play. And it's a, an avenue that the franchise, the film franchise, was going to explore. They were going to go through film after film, a different person would be the Jason. And Jason Voorhees himself was actually dead in part four. So where he dies in part four, Tommy Jarvis, you know, kills him, hacks him up with a machete. In part five, it's Roy Burns, and then they were going to go down the, the all the films in the following franchise, however many there would be at the time it was undetermined, it would always be somebody else taking on the helm as Jason. And so there was this cool kind of 
don't trust your friends. Who's it going to be? But we're like return to Giallo kind of vibe that was going to happen. When that all came down though, and when part five came out, people were like, this isn't, this isn't Jason. This is some guy named Roy. And so like, then they were like, you know what? Never mind. We're going back to Jason. He's back, you know? And that's when, uh, Tom McLaughlin made the great Frank and Jason, I keep calling it where he brings Jason back. So the timing of these is really kind of important to the timing of the franchise and almost the franchise's own lore about how this was all going to go um, and how they needed to then have that, okay, we're going to bring Tom Jarvis back and he's going to electrocute Jason, which brings him back to life so we can get back off of that thing before everybody gets mad at us again for <laughs> you know, putting a hockey mask on someone else and making him kill people. So yeah, all of that to say, that first game was really like a tie-in for Friday the 13th Part 5. Which is pretty, I think, pretty That's interesting. Really cool. Yeah, the the purple Jason, the Jason that everybody knows as video game Jason before our game. Um, in our game, you can actually get a skin. I keep saying in a, in our game, in Friday the Thirteenth, um, the game, the one that's out now on Xbox, PC, and PlayStation Four, and the Nintendo Switch. Uh, there's a skin for Jason called Retro Jason, where he has that typical like teal green and purple color scheme <laughs> that he did on the Nintendo. That's the one with all the great gifts of him 8-bit running and, you know, throwing the machete and you and your friends are dead. You know, that whole thing is, that's the Nintendo one, which was a, it was a brutally difficult game. That was probably one of the hardest games. So, yeah. But um, the other thing I wanted to note, too, uh, that I felt was kind of like a an interesting thing, Slasher Volume 1 Summer Camp was the name of it. Everybody knew it was basically Jason. And when the the... When that moment of crossover, it was like lightning in a bottle for the game. Because once it became Friday the 13th, the game, it led to being, I want to say the most, yeah, I think it's still the most successful video game on Kickstarter. Um, so the most successful campaign on Kickstarter through yeah. the initial one and then the backer kit and all that. And uh, yeah, there were a lot of really cool things that were able to we were able to do with the game for the backers as well as, you know, unique items. There's little nods to them. Um some backers actually became counselors in the game. Some cabins are named after backers and cool things like that. So there's like a really cool community kind of like we all love Friday vibe to it, which, That's yeah. Really That's cool. cool. Yeah. I mean, and it also like Friday the 13th, the game also inspires like the rise of asymmetrical games that we're now in right now. Yeah. Like Illphonic yeah. just put out Predator. Yep. Um, and then you have what, Dead by Daylight and then... Uh, I really wish no, Resident Evil is making released. a one at this point. No, it's already made. It should have okay. been its own game. Okay, whatever. Mm. Project Resistance should have been its own game, damn it. Yeah. But no, it's packaged in with uh, with Resident Evil 3. That's right. right. I'm I, very I mad about it. Um, I mean, no, we, we're picking that up, but, you know, <laughs> we're, we're getting that vibe. But, you know, I, hey, um, I, I think that I think it's important to note one game that kind of really was the kickoff point for these. And that was Evolve. Evolve. Yes. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. Evolve the starter. Just Evolve I was before about time. Evolve. No, we Evolve talked about Evolve was... last time when we yeah, went to Yeah, I know, stuff. and I keep forgetting about it. That's, that's yeah. the problem with Evolve. And, <laughs> and, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, because I'm not here to um, talk poorly about anybody else's game. I actually have a really high opinion of Evolve. I think it was a great game. I own it. I had fun with it. For some reason... And maybe this is, maybe gamers are going to attack me on social when this is all over and say, oh, dummy, why didn't you know this? And okay, so there may be some obvious thing I'm missing, but 
I don't know. I feel like it didn't get the love it deserved because it wasn't a terrible game. I enjoyed it. And I thought it was really creative and really interesting. And the idea, it, it was certainly one of the first times I played that that type of a game with where, you know, the one versus many asymmetrical side of things. And I think that it did really open the door for a lot of things. And games yeah. like Friday the 13th can only exist asymmetrically. You can't have 10 Jasons fighting 10 counselors. It would be ludicrous. So, <laughs> you know... It, it opens up horror games in a really interesting way. But yeah, it, going back to Evolve being that first, like, you know, and in Evolve, it was a giant monster against monster hunters, but the, the concept is all there. One really powerful entity versus many slightly less powerful with unique attributes. And, um, yeah. you know, Friday the 13th, the whole thing with creating a game around Friday the 13th is the, the real magic, you know, the, the, the kind of like player power fantasy is, being able to play as Jason. And so yeah. being able to do the things uh, that Jason can do in the films, obviously there had to be a little artistic license with abilities. You know, Jason just manages to pop up behind somebody. So how do you make that happen? Okay, well, <laughs> we have stalk and shift and things like that. But, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you have to kind of create a skill to make that thing that you know from the films happen in game and make it feel fluid. Well, if you're going to those great lengths, then you also have to recreate those environments. And that's something that I think, um, as a fan, one of the things that made me back the game before I ever worked at gun was the simple fact that you can go visit Packenack Lodge and Higgins Haven. And they're like so faithfully recreated from the films. It's, it's absurd. So, I think yeah. my favorite thing were the different attributes for different Jason skins. <laughs> I will wrap it up, but Rip I also want to say that I may be the only person in existence who doesn't like playing as Jason in Friday the 13th. I hate it. I can't do it. I get too stressed. How can oh, I hunt down all these people? How can I, I hunt was, down all these kids? It's too much. And you know, yeah, I was starting to go down that road and I lost my train of thought. Um yeah, the idea being you build for Jason because that's obviously like when you go, oh, I'm going to play Friday the 13th, I get to play as Jason. That's something that not a lot of game companies want to do, put you at the helm, you know, at yeah. the hands of the villain. Um, but this other side of it kind of bubbled up. I, you know, for me, even as a fan, I thought playing as Jason's where it's at, playing as counselor is the hard sell. But, yeah, you know, this the counselor side of things, there's 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 a ton of players who consider themselves counselor mains and they've made this whole other you know, subgroup that they don't want to play as Jason. They, they yeah. want to main counselors and it's an interesting thing. So I want to live out my final girl dreams. That's, yeah. I think, I think that's what it is. But uh, also I, that's just like fair. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, you know, you think like, I, I guess the, the preconceived notion being plays the villain because not a lot of video games let you do that. Um, so yeah. it's like, you know, that's kind of the rare trick, but there's so many other layers to it that you don't see. And I guess that's one of them for sure. You know, um, being the, being able to be the final girl or be, being a hero of some kind or, you know, being a Chad, even jumping in the boat solo and, you know, <laughs> the, the, the four seater solo and just being like, see you later, you know, um, there's, there's layers there. <laughs> but will there be an update where that boat can go to Manhattan is what I want to know. No, never guaranteed. Not going to happen. No, you're not going to leave a lake and end up in Manhattan. That's how this works. <laughs> These words mean things, guys. <laughs> Well, this has been amazing talking with you. And if you just want to give your final thoughts on why Friday the 13th matters to you. Um, 
there was a study that my my uh, my boss and friend Wes often cites about the uh, hockey mask being one of the most recognized pieces of uh, the most recognized icons in American culture, next to like Mickey Mouse ears. The hockey mask is such a, a pop culture notable tick. It's something that we all know and recognize, even if we don't have any appreciation for horror. And I think that that right there is the proof of what Friday the Thirteenth means, and and you know. There's all these other things we can talk about. We can go off the deep end and, and get into all kinds of other topics about the history of horror and slashers and, you know, franchises and the, the sequel routine and these machines that came out of the 80s where they made 10, 12 movies of a franchise and all these other things and, you know, the movies that inspired and all of that. Um, but the simple fact that that hockey mask, um, you know, if, if you show someone an image of that hockey mask, they know exactly the, the vibe. It's that's telling. Um, it's such an important part of American culture that it's there with Disneyland's Mickey Mouse, you know, uh, the ears. So I think that's important and, and telling um, as far as how much of an impact Friday the 13th had on, on our culture and, um, you know, horror movies in general. Then, like I said, then you can go down off, that's kind of the main highway. You can go down off all those city roads and talk about all those other layers to it like we were here. And there's a lot of really wonderful stuff there, but just the simple fact that um, this little slasher movie turned into 12 slasher movies in a franchise that is now an icon in American culture is is pretty impressive and amazing. And, um, you know, yeah. Horror has a lot of really cool takeaways from it. The DIY angle, the fact that anybody can be a filmmaker, the fact that, you know, Tom Savini can grow up, go to the military, come home and just be a makeup artist through messing around as a kid. He just loved these, you know, Lon Chaney and, and the, the makeup that was done on Lon Chaney back in the day and that inspired him to become what he is. And, and there's so many cool things to it and so much cool DIY and, and cool just, hey, if you love something, get into it, do it, make the thing, be creative. And um, I think that... There's so much of that that resonates well with us and gives us all kind of like a weird hope out of horror that I think is pretty cool. And Friday the 13th is just one of the juggernauts of that. Guys, okay. I mean, do you want to fight? I don't want to follow up on that. So, okay, my final thoughts was sadly uh, the other Matt already took was I was going to talk about like one... Obviously, I'm not a big fan of horror or anything, but I remember the hockey mask. And in fact, the hockey mask is a thing, but he already said all that, so I'm just skipping on to Adrian. <laughs> but you um, proved his point, though. No, I mean, it did. Once he said it, I was like, damn it, that's what I was going to bring up. With I'm the so mask. sorry, buddy. I'm so sorry. Oh, no, that was, I mean, basically, that was the point of, like, I am not a big horror fan or anything. And like I said, I've seen very little of these like, movies and whatever, and it's been about 25 years, but I always remember the hockey mask. And that's, you know what's great? The the point that I made doesn't exist without the point that you made. Um, you know, there's there's there, there's this symbiotic kind of thing there where you can't say this is such a recognizable icon without somebody saying, yeah, I'm not really that big into horror and I recognize that icon, so. Exactly. <laughs> Adrian? Um, yeah, for me, I mean, I like the ridiculousness of those movies. I mean, I... I don't, I never didn't, I never not, I didn't not watch Friday the 13th because like it gave me nightmares or whatever. I think this dude walking slowly and killing people while they're, while they're banging is a crazy premise. And I don't know why we have so many movies, but apparently because you can get a boat on a lake. Um, but I do like playing him in video games. I will say that I know when he came out in Mortal Kombat, he was broken. Uh, he was broken. They he did was so broken there. that yeah. first week he came out. Um, but yeah, it's like, I, I think. I mean, 
Matt kind of hit on really like, like everything as like the expert here. Like I can't really think of anything else to, to kind of add to that other than Casey Jones doesn't get his hockey mask without Jason Voorhees. <laughs> so, as all I Casey really think Jones, of. yes. Oh, Casey yeah, Jones. That's yeah. That's, yeah. Completely fair. Have... Casey Jones or Jason walked so Casey Jones could run yeah, in the park go. and hit people with a hockey stick. <laughs> Jason took a boat from a lake to Manhattan just so Casey Jones could live in the Teenage Mutant so Ninja Turtles. Casey Ninja Jones as a kid That's could right. see it. He and he's made, like, hey. Right. Jason made the impossible yeah, happen. Cannon. He <laughs> sailed from a lake to the ocean outside of Manhattan. Yeah. Just so we like could it. have a cool Ninja Turtle character. Perfect crossover. Um, yeah, I don't really have a lot to add other than that. I don't, I don't know what horror is without Jason. And I think a lot of people don't. And I think Jason and specifically what Friday the 13th opens up is it opens up the genre of horror to an entirely new subsect of fans. Um, the, the creation of slashers as just popular media as opposed to, like, horror movies. Um, they kind of stand on their own, and they bring in new horror fans. And I think this that foundation... Or not foundation, but that... That torch that Friday the 13th picks up and then inspires and everybody else who made a slasher after it, I think that that, that alone is what it's worth. Um, for me, at least. So, uh, yeah. It's those highways... And then those side streets, it's those highways and the side streets, man. I'm telling you, there's a metaphor there. I'm just not clever enough to make it. (laughs) You know, Friday the 13th inspires a small horror film. People like, hey, man, they did it. We can do it. Let's get up and do it. And then they inspire other people. And hey, man, let's get up and do it. And that you don't become that juggernaut of of the uh, genre without, you know, tossing them seeds out the window the whole way down the road. It's, you know, it's really something. It's the Night of the Living Dead, but for slashers. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, but thank you so much, Matt, for joining us. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find Gun, and all of that? Me personally, I'm at Matt Shacha everywhere. Um, you can find me all over everywhere, and you can send me a friend request on your gaming platform of choice. I have the same name on every single one of them, and I'd love to get a few games of Friday the 13th in with you. As far as Gun, we often go by at Fear the Gun. You'll find us on Twitch, Twitter, all socials, and all of that is at Fear the Gun. Awesome. Cool. We try to keep much. it easy for exactly that reason. <laughs> <laughs> Just give them that one name, sense. Matt. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if you would like to support the show a little bit more, you can head over to patreon.com slash butwhythepc, and you can find us on all of our all the socials at butwhythepc, and you can find me on Twitter at omemethrandier, where I am currently just trying to talk about things that bring me joy, which recently have just been Shutter titles. Uh, <laughs> Matt, or no, Adrian? Oh, sorry, Adrian. <laughs> Episode one thirty nine. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at superreese ninety three s u p e r r u i c ninety three. Matt, I want to see if I can get a boat. From here to the Gulf, since apparently it's possible. Anything is. 